0: Come on, church, all over the state of South Carolina. Can you put your hands together for a God who reigns? It'll make a Presbyterian shout. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. You reign above it all, God. We bless your name, King Jesus. On this Resurrection Sunday in 2022, we're not going to let the rocks cry out. We're going to say thank you, God, that you resurrected in power and you reign above it all. And Lord, we are ecstatic about that reality. We love you. Be honored in this gathering, not just here at New Spring Church, but in every Jesus-preaching gathering all over the world today. Millions will gather. Lord, would you receive the praise that is rightfully yours? We ask this in Christ's name. And with our very best hand clap and maybe one more shout, can you do that for the Lord? Amen, amen. Why don't you take a moment and say hello to somebody near you. You can reach across an aisle. Say hey up there in the balcony. Good morning, good morning. I'm going to look right at the camera. Say hello to you if you're watching online. So good to see you. God bless you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. You look great. All the pastels. It's either Easter or we're doing a big gender reveal. One or the other. That's what's happening today. Uh, Y'all doing all right, church? You good? Well, on behalf of uh, our staff and, and the folks that called New Spring Church home, I just want to welcome you, specifically if you're new with us, maybe you're moved here, relocated, or somebody invited you, you're a friend, uh, or maybe you're back in church again after a, a little time away, we welcome you. We're so grateful uh, that you came and you're hanging out with us on Easter morning. So New Spring family, can we welcome all those that are joining us maybe for the very first time? Something that'll uh, help you out while you're here is if you want to download the New Spring app. We've got all kinds of content there. We we believe in New Spring Church, our heart is that every single one of us would be in an everyday relationship with Jesus. I hope you uh, will take the Lord up on that. He's made it available. And, uh, and this morning on the app, actually, we have the notes that we're going to be in. We're starting a brand new series. And we're going to be opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. So if you brought a Bible, if you want to click there and open up a... Uh, The app, we've got all the notes preloaded and over the next two weeks, two weeks, over the next two months, we're actually going to be preaching through the entirety of Romans chapter 8, which if you ask around Christian world, this is like one of the Mount Everest places in the scriptures. Pastors love it. Christians love it because it's full of promises. Promises that you've probably heard uh, like God works all things for the good of those that are called according to his purposes. Uh, Promises like there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Promises like there is nothing that can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. All of those rich promises are in Romans chapter 8 and over the next two months. We're going to be entering into a series called Marked by Victory, and we hope that you will join us for that. I get to kick off that series today as we open our Bibles to Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So you can open up and turn there. Now, here's the question that's a burden for me to answer this morning. Everybody is here. Millions around the world are gathered on this Easter weekend because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ emptied a tomb. And just if I can cut to the chase, here's the question that we've got to answer and that the burden on me this morning and every other preacher of the gospel to preach, here it is. You ready for it? So what? Why does that even matter? Jesus got out of a grave. Why does that impact my life? Why should I care? That's the burden on me, okay? And I just want to own up to that, especially if you're here today and you're, you're you know, kind of skeptical or cynical, welcome. That's my mindset as well. And I believe that I'm not going to speak in hyperbole today or use extravagance to talk about this. I'm going to try to put in plain language the reality of an empty grave and why I believe from the Scripture that that should impact every single day of your life, seven days a week. 365 days a year, and how you have the opportunity, because the grave is empty, to have an everyday relationship with God, your creator, who loves you, and that not just on Easter morning, of course on Easter morning, but every day of your life, you can walk in the explosive power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry I'm juiced up about this. I can't help myself. Easter is a great preaching day. It's the easiest day ever to preach because people are hope-filled. You feel the hope in the room? People are wearing their bright colors. You look great. Everybody's smiling. People are singing, like I said. Uh, I mean, Presbyterians are waving their hands. Pentecostals are taking laps. And you and I are here, all right? So this morning, if you would, open up your scriptures and let's read together. Romans chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says in Romans 8:1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Come on, Pentecostals, that was your time right there, okay? I was trying to give you a poll, we'll start over, okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, all right, all right, okay, okay. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free Mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for our sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. That's what happened at the cross. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, would you make these words come alive? Would you help our eyes to see the gospel? Would you help me, Lord, to hide in the finished work of your cross? And Lord, would you arrest our attention? Some of us have grown up around this language. We know Christianese. We've been to Easter services before. Others of us, we're wondering what it's all about. And Lord, would you, in your kindness, show us your love today? In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. If you got a card on the way in, maybe it was in your seat or maybe it was handed out to you, I want you to pull that card out and I want you to hold it nearby and you can even write notes on it if you will because what we're gonna do is we're gonna really break down that first part of uh chapter eight. That very first verse today, that's what we're going to do. I don't know if you grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons like I did. Uh, in Saturday morning cartoons, there was a commercial that always showed on Saturday mornings. It was the question, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? Anybody remember? Wave a hand at him if you do. Yeah, somebody already do. Tie knows three. One, two. Rrr. Three, (laughs) three, all right? We're gonna take three bites today of this Romans uh, chapter eight, verse one passage in just a bit, and these three bites are gonna help us understand the great Easter promise. The Easter promise that I want you to write down, and you can use that note card to do it. The Easter promise, here it is, the Easter promise is simply this, is that through Jesus Christ, God was doing a beautiful exchange. He was exchanging our condemnation with his liberation. That's what's happening at the cross. The Easter promise is that God is doing a miracle. He's exchanging our condemnation for his liberation. All of us that is broken, past, present, and future, what the Bible refers to as sin, God miraculously, supernaturally exchanged it and extends to us the liberation of Jesus Christ, all that he had earned. That's what's going on here. And I'm gonna show it to you, the mechanics of it in the scriptures. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, I've been wondering for years why all these Christians go through all of the rigmarole on Easter, why they sing, why they clap, why they raise their hands in worship, why mama always invites me or daddy always invites me to Easter service, and you want to know why. I want to show it to you today with these Easter promise. Now, here's what I need, and actually, as I was preparing this message, the Holy Spirit gave me a a sound as I was preparing, and it was the sound of all of us, thousands of us, reading Romans 8-1 together. So if you don't mind, would you grab that card, and we're gonna read it aloud on all of our campuses, okay? We're gonna read Romans 8, 1 together. So if you don't mind, let's read it together on three. It's right there in front of you. One, two, three. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you the nine fifteen. Said it just a little bit louder, but I think you got them right here, 1115, okay? So this time I want you to say it loud like the person in front of you needs to believe it, all right? On all of our camps, even if you're watching online and you're tuned in at Starbucks with your earbud in, say it out loud for the whole Starbucks, okay? Let's go for it on three. One, two, three. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Awesome. Now let's break it down. The very first part of that passage that I'm going to break down is the front Few words that there is therefore now. We worked all week on that. Did you see that? One more time. There is therefore now. All right. Say now with me. There is therefore now. How many of you know that the gospel is right on time? Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a now gospel. Yes, it's not a two thousand years ago gospel. Those are historical facts but the 2,000 year ago reality confronts my present now. And there's potential in now. How many of you know that? There's not, there's not, there's not potential in tomorrow. There's potential in right now. You know, we just came out of a men's series where we talked about the intentions of our heart. And many of us, we live in the, in the tension of I've got good intentions about tomorrow, but many of us We wrestled with and grappled with the reality. It's not our intentions, but it's our everyday decisions, our right now decisions that actually determine our tomorrows. And one of the reasons that I love this passage of Romans 8.1 is that it forces me to deal with a phrase that I was introduced to several years ago. It forces me to deal with my tendency and yours to be a practical atheist. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but the first time I read it, I was introduced to it by a pastor named A.W. Tozer. He's dead and gone now. He's a pastor in Chicago. He wrote some fantastic books on worship, incredible stuff, but he, he talked about practical atheism, and what practical atheism was in, in his terms was that we would look back in the historical past. We would look back in history, and history, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a secularist or it doesn't matter where you come from, you've gotta deal with Jesus of Nazareth. And you could potentially look back in history and see Jesus on the cross, see the resurrection, see the early church, see the miracles. And standing where we are today in the present, look back in history and believe in all of it. Simultaneously, Tozer would say, you could look into the future. And you could believe in eternity. You could believe that there was a savior named Jesus who is risen and will come back and bring his church home and that there is a reality of heaven and hell and you can believe in all of that as well. So check this out. The practical atheist can believe historical past, believe in the reality of a future, but at the same time be living as if neither one of those things are true. Confession. That is where I believe I slip as a Christ follower. And maybe you do too, friend. We believe on Easter in the historical Christ. We believe that it occurred. We believe that he resurrected. We sing and celebrate and we hope for an eternity and we hope for heaven that he would forgive us of our sin. But my life right now doesn't demand an explanation. And I love Romans 8.1 because it says right at the beginning that there is therefore now a gospel that confronts me in my life, and I have got to live in response to that. And so it makes war with my practical atheistic tendencies, and it makes war with yours as well. Now, I'm not the only one who has seen this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually wrote specifically about practical atheism and its dangers. He said these words, I want you to read them with me. The most dangerous type of atheism Dr. King wrote is is not theoretical atheism. But it's practical atheism. That's the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. And there's always a danger that we will make it appear externally that we believe in God. When internally, we don't. We say with our mouths that we believe in him, but we live with our lives like he never existed. That is the ever-present danger confronting religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. And I just wanna go on record and say that might be why many of you perhaps have not even responded to the gospel is because you've seen folks, parents, friends, coworkers live as practical atheists. I just wanna say I'm sorry. Don't, Don't look at our practical atheism. Instead, look at our risen savior and you deal with it and awaken if you're here today Christ follower, awaken to the reality that practical atheism is coming after you, but Romans 8, 1, it can be a strong tower that there is therefore right now a gospel that calls us into a a 365-day-a-year, seven-day-a-week kind of relationship with the God of the Bible. That's one of the reasons I love Romans 8, 1, because there is therefore what, church? There is therefore now a gospel that is available And there's power today for you and I to take a hold of that gospel. Bite number one okay? Is it going down easy? If it is, say amen. Amen? All right, let's deal with bite number two. There is therefore now no condemnation. See, we worked on that all week right there. That move right there. I'm gonna try it again. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, if you're a little charismatic or you grew up in a Pentecostal church, this is where you have a praise break in the middle of a service because how many of you are grateful that it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter who you used to be, that Jesus Christ has preached a gospel with his life and offered to you the reality of an empty tomb so that you can live out of condemnation, and now live in liberation. There's no condemnation for you anymore. Is there anybody in the room that is moved by that? Come on. That's good. That's good. I can hear them clapping at the beach, okay? All of y'all are in a space where there's no condemnation. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Easter. But the other reality is, if there's no condemnation, that means there was actually condemnation at some point. Let me go back to that widescreen shot real quick and point something out. You see these, uh, any Spanish speakers in the room? Any Spanish speakers in the room? Any readers of Latin in the room? Let me go to this word condemnation. If you speak Spanish, this is not rhetorical. I need somebody in the understand to answer. What does the word C-O-N mean in Spanish? Con. With, with, I heard you Clayton King, means with. Now let me change this other word back here. If I change that E right there to an A, does anybody recognize that word? it's the word you heard your kids say that time they got in trouble for, or maybe your uncle say when he wasn't watching his mouth, with, it's a Bible word, damnation, with condemnation. That's what the word literally means. The reason that people celebrate at Easter is because our sin had condemned us to a eternal place that the scriptures calls hell. That's the reality, friends. And Romans 8, 1, and the cross of Christ on Easter morning confronts us. It confronts us with the reality that Jesus God had to die for my sin and for yours. Now if we were there 2,000 years ago and we watched what Christ went through, do you know what would've actually happened? We would've probably thrown up because it was so disgusting. Now our modern man tendencies are just a little too cleaned up for this. But the reality is if we had watched Christ be scourged and seen his ribs exposed and his spine exposed and seen spit on his body and watched the brutal beating that he took, many of us would have passed out because of the blood. Would have thrown up because of the disgust. Others of us would have fallen on the ground in absolute mourning, weeping until we were Asleep in exhaustion because we could not believe that Christ went through this. And at Easter, we come face to face with the reality that he did that. Why? He did that because sin had to be, justice had to be given to the sin that had been earned. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus But the only reason that's good news is because the bad news was true too, that there was previously the weight of sin on all of our lives. The British pastor John Stott spoke about this. I don't know if you know who he is, but Billy Graham, the Reverend Billy Graham, who many of you have heard of before, he actually is quoted as saying the greatest pastor he ever met alive was Pastor John Stott. He was a pastor in London at All Saints Church. And John Stott spoke about this condemnation and the weight of the the cross when he said these words. He says, before we can see the cross as something done for us, we must first see that the cross was something done by us. Before we can step into the promises of all that the Bible gives us in the resurrection of Christ, we have to deal with the reality that he died for me and for you, that he died for us. He died for Every single one of us, which is really great news, especially if you're here today and you feel like your life is not together. You feel like you got some things you need to work on. Uh, One of the great things that uh, Spurgeon said was the only kind of people that receive grace are sinners, so it's good to be a sinner. Because those are the only kind of people that get to experience the love of God. Now, let me ask a question on all of our campuses. Where are the teachers and administrators and folks that work in education at in the room? Would you wave your hands at me real quick? All over the room, all over the room. Oh, wow, very cool. Hey, put our hands together and say thank you to these teachers and educators. Awesome. They understand what I'm about to talk about. There's a phrase in education called scaffolding. Uh, Essentially what it means is before a, a child or someone coming up through the education system can learn calculus, Who wants to learn calculus anyway? Before they can learn calculus, that they've got to learn arithmetic. It's a base level thing. Or before they can learn the syntax of the English language and appropriate uh, verb conjugation, before they can learn that, they've got to learn the ABCs. And here's what I'm telling you is that before we can step into all the promises of God's word that are in the scriptures, we have got to learn the base level foundation of what Christ did at the cross and the power of the resurrection. If you have never dealt with the fact that you are a sinner and that your sin deserves justice from God, Good news, Christ has made himself available to absorb and satisfy the justice of God so that you now can receive the liberation and freedom that he offers to us. That is foundational for you to experience any of the other promises in here, amen? And that is what this beautiful passage that there is therefore now no condemnation articulates. Now, I got to point out another mystery while we're here. Because just like John Stott said and just like you and I have spoken about, our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. He did not die on his cross. He died on mine and he died on yours. He died our death. At the same time that that's true, there's another mysterious truth that holds hands at the cross. You know what this truth is? It's that before any human being was created, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in historical past, in eternity past, they had planned This beautiful cross, empty tomb narrative all alone. Jesus, friends, was not reacting as if he wasn't in charge to our sinfulness. It wasn't like all of a sudden, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in like a holy huddle up in heaven goes, oh my gosh, have you seen what those humans are doing? They're sinning, they're treating each other poorly, they're gossiping, they're murdering, they're stealing, they're lying. What do you wanna do? Let's huddle up, let's huddle up. Okay, who's gonna go and die for them? Okay, I don't know, let's play paper, rock, scissors. One, two, three. Oh, okay, Jesus, you lost, you're up. Okay, and they're responding to what we've done. No, that's not how the gospel works at all. God's sovereign preordained foreknowledge had already had this whole thing working and the narrative of the cross is at the centerpiece of all humanity. That's why Octavius Winslow said these words about the cross, the beautiful mystery. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy. No, 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 no. But rather it was the father for love. God the father put Jesus on the cross and Christ volunteered for it. He knew what he was doing when he entered into our humanity and he does an unbelievable thing, something no other religion in the world talks about. He, God, suffered and died. He bled, just like we sang in those lyrics a moment ago. He bled for us so that we might know that he can empathize with us and he defeated sin and death. That's what he did. Now, Humanity's had this problem for a long time. It's one you'll see on social media at the top of your timeline, or you'll hear on uh, um, you know, MSM News all the time. People are always trying. Politicians are talking about it. People are always trying to answer a question. You know what the question is? Here's the question. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Well, it's a question that humanity's been asking for a while, and 150 years ago, not quite 150, it's about 115 years ago, uh, in the London Times in the newspaper, they were asking this question. They wanted some of their authors to write some articles of response. What's wrong with the world? World War I was getting kicked off and there was all kinds of turmoil over in Europe and people were lining up and fighting and there was all kinds of things occurring. And so the London Times puts a question out and some of their authors take them up on this op-ed. One of those men that wrote back was a guy named G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world, he wrote back. Dear sir or madam, I am. I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. So witty and clever, but so right. He recognized that our tendency in humanity is to blame the other political party, to blame this economic situation, to blame this pandemic or this vaccine, or whatever it is, we point the fingers and blame. That's our tendency. But where we need to start is we need to look in the mirror and realize that I'm the problem, I'm what's wrong, my sin. I was born a son or a daughter of Adam and Eve, and I have this inherent sin that I can't even do what's right. Have you guys faced this reality that you could know the rules and still not do what's right? You know, Clayton, uh, you said this the other day, and I was driving in my car, and my child from the back seat goes, Hey, Daddy, are you driving 51 miles an hour? I said, Yes, I am driving 51 miles an hour. And she goes, Isn't the speed limit 35 Yes, it is 35. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Isn't that funny that we can know the rules and we still break the rules? Now, we don't vote for elected officials that break the rules, or we try not to. We, we We wouldn't want anybody to be in a place of influence that breaks the rules. But what happens when we break the rules? What do we do? We rationalize. And we make excuses and we, you know, we blame and we talk about all the reasons why it's okay for us to break the rules. But I'm, I'm here today to tell you that it's not okay to break the rules. That is sin and we can't explain sin away and we can't make it a mental disorder we can't blame the government or we can't blame our parents or blame our neighbor or blame our teacher. We've got to reckon with the sin like G.K. Chesterton did. Dear sir madam, you want to know what's wrong with the world? I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. And it's there when we recognize our condemnation, that we can receive the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of this Easter morning, that he died in our place and he extends to us his perfect life, his undefeated life, and he offers it to you and me. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter three when he said these words to Nicodemus. In John three, he's telling Nicodemus about this, and he says, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. You see, that wouldn't be punished for their, their, their sins, but instead would have eternal life. Now watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to what? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. You know, one of the lies that the enemy plays on humanity is that there's a God in the Bible Who like Zeus is standing up, holding a lightning bolt, looking out, going, "Who's not going to believe in Jesus?" And that God is somehow waiting on us to go, "I don't believe in Jesus," and He's going to zap, throw a lightning bolt down on our heads, friends. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a lie of the enemy. God's not standing in heaven, going, "Believe in Jesus or else." Instead, John three tells us that "or else" is a reality. I chose or else, you did too. We chose or else, therefore God's not holding a lightning bolt, he's actually holding a lifesaver called his son, and he throws him out to us and says, you are in a desperate place. Would you receive my love and take a hold of my son's sacrifice and respond to the heart of a father who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die, not to condemn you, but that through Christ you might be saved through him. That is is the gospel, and that's what we are responding to this Easter morning at New Spring Church. That's bite number two. Say amen. Amen. Now, let's move to bite number three, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, all right? For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, uh, where are my married folks at in the room? All over our campuses, wave at me. Okay, good to see you, good to see you. All right, where are the single folks at? Single folks, wave at me. I'm giving all you single folks a chance to identify right here. Okay, all right, okay, okay. All right, you'll have to come to rally later. All right, anyway. Married folks in the room, you understand this. Even, even, even country music people understand this when they write songs like Check Yes or No. Married folks in the room, when I asked my wife, Corey O'Toole at the time, to marry me, and she said yes. When I gave her my yes, every other woman on planet Earth got my no. Now that's not me being mean to all you other ladies. That's me being exclusive to my wife. And the idea of exclusivity is simple. We understand it in marriage, we understand it in a middle school note passed across the classroom, check yes or no. Will you go with me, or whatever your language was at the day, all right? Check yes or no. We understand it when it comes to relationships in our human mind, but we have a hard time understanding that that's exactly what's on offer when it comes to our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven offers exclusively a path of forgiveness that's found no other way than receiving by faith the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and walking out filled with his spirit the rest of our days in a life of no condemnation, but instead in liberation. That's exclusivity. That is Christianity, that is confessional Christianity. You need to understand that when Jesus Christ has earned your yes with his love, like a good husband who women you know love you and they get down and propose to you and you say, yes, I'm responding to your love and you now are exclusively my husband. The church is called the bride of Christ and he is supposed to primarily, exclusively, priority be our love. That's who he is. That's what exclusivity is looks like. Now, what's the right response? Do we see a picture of this in the scriptures anywhere? What's the right response to the life that is exclusively given to Jesus? Well, the very first sermon preached by a pastor post-resurrection is found in Acts chapter 2. And Peter, one of the disciples, stands up in the streets of Jerusalem, like literally were days before, there was mobs killing Jesus, and he preaches a gospel message And the Bible records in Acts 2 that the people were cut to the heart because they knew it was true. They had sinned, they had done wrong things, and they needed forgiveness. And they asked Peter, what are we to do? We're cut to the heart, what do we do? And Peter says these words, repent, be baptized, receive the forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit will fill you up and you go out and live for him. That's the simple gospel truth. Repent and be baptized. That the way we preach the resurrection of Jesus not only on Easter morning, is literally through the act of baptism. It is an image of burial, death, resurrection. And we preach it all the time. And for 2,000 years, the historic church has been responding to the gospel message. And I wanted to say, friends, baptism is not a denominational thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a Bible thing. It's what people responding to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ do. They, just like a wedding ring, Tell people that I am exclusively married to Corey Cooper. This wedding ring is a symbol to the world. And just like that, baptism is a symbol to the world that I have been saved by grace and I have believed in faith. And my life is a resurrection story that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So that's been going on for 2,000 years. And for 22 years, up here on the screen behind me and it's your campus, we've been seeing at New Spring Church people respond to the gospel through baptism. Year after year, weekend after weekend, tens of thousands of folks responding to the good news of that Easter resurrection. And so today... We're going to allow somebody to do it right here in front of us today and respond. And so we've got Corey today who's here and down with my friend Clayton King. And so Clayton, tell us a little bit about Corey. And Corey, we're excited for you today, brother. We're going to cheer because the resurrection is true. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those
1: of us who are in Christ Jesus. Clayton. So today we get to join 2,000 years of church history because the church has baptized people, but specifically on Easter. And what better day than Easter, the day where we celebrate Jesus being raised from the dead for us to gather together and celebrate the baptism of a brother in Christ. We've got Corey here in the water, and he's going to be baptized by Bradley. And uh, there's some backstory here to this, but I want to celebrate our partnership with a great ministry called the Bridge Center. we got a lot of the guys here from the Bridge Center. It's a ministry that we support as a church here in the upstate, here in Anderson, and we've seen life change in the Bridge Center, and Bradley is a great pastor and shepherd, and we're going to give Corey a chance right now to share some of his story about how he came to faith in Christ and what this means to him right now. Corey, hey man, nothing to be embarrassed, afraid, or ashamed of. He told me beforehand, he goes, I'm so nervous. I'm like, don't worry, Bradley won't hold you down too long. Hey Corey, share with us from your own words what this means to you. My name's Corey. I'm 34 years old. I have a wonderful wife and two kids over
0: there. I struggled with addiction for almost about eight years. I recently made the decision to enter the Bridge Center in March. To learn to stay sober, and little did I know I would meet Jesus and get saved. Today I'm going public in front of my church family to bury the old man and hopefully spark hope in someone struggling with addiction, that if God can do it for me, he can also do it for you.
1: Amen. Amen. What an honor to celebrate this. Uh, Bradley, uh, what, what a great treat for you to be able to baptize your brother right now. So this is the moment where you are joined publicly, identifying yourself. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is your public profession to the world that you are saved. What an honor. Bradley, go ahead. Corey, by the word of your testimony and the blood of Jesus, God is glorifying himself through your obedience today to tell thousands of people that drug addiction didn't have the final say. That's right. That Jesus did. There you go. So I ask you, my brother, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. All right, Corey, upon your profession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I now have the honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
0: Yeah, amen. Come on, y'all, let's give the Lord a hand. Let's give Corey a hand, would you stand to your feet? Put your hands together, let's do that. Stand to your feet, everybody. Well done, Corey. Well done, Bradley love the story that God is preaching, that there is therefore now, you can stay on your feet, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great, great message to hear on an Easter Sunday morning. You could walk out tomorrow, friend, without carrying your condemnation with you. Now, I want everybody to grab a hold of that card. If you didn't, if you left it down there on the ground when you stood up, get a hold of it. I want you to hold it in your hand. I want you to look at that passage again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's an Easter promise. And I want you to imagine yourself tomorrow, Monday, walk into your mailbox, or maybe you're a college student, you go to your, your college mailbox, and you open up your mailbox, and you take out certified mail. It's official. Whoa, this is weird. You open up that certified mail, and inside is some legal documents from a law firm. Well, that looks official. You, Open it up, and you look at it, and you read that you have a a long-lost uncle who passed away, didn't have any kids, and has left you an inheritance. Now, what's your first thought? This is a scam. That's good. That's good. I'm glad you guys have a critical mind. You should think this is a scam, okay? It's like all those people that write you on Instagram from my fake account. I don't write people on Instagram. Anyway, back to you. Stay with me here. Now after, you, now, after you look and you realize, okay, it, i read a little further. It said my uncle found me because I did that Ancestry DNA thing, and he, he was able to locate me. That really happens. Uh, and uh, you, you'd look into it, and sure enough, you have a long-lost uncle that has an inheritance for you. Millions of dollars. Everybody say millions. You know what I knew and know you do after you've proved it wasn't a scam? You'd take him up on that offer, wouldn't you? Yep. And we'd all go eat some lunch together, too. Yep. All right? But let me say this. There are a lot of you, perhaps, that have been considering this gospel story for a while. That you mean to tell me that the God of the Bible will take all my condemnation and give me his freedom and his liberation? And you're wondering if it's a scam. It's not a scam, friend. And you know what I know you'd do? You'd look into it. So I just want to challenge you. Look into it look into the gospel. Look into not just what Christians say, look into what historians say. Look into what secular people say. They they cannot, cannot find anything about the gospel that is untrue. As a matter of fact, there was an atheist who started looking into it. And this atheist, his name's C.S. Lewis, and he decided to give his life to Christ after he had done some real investigating and then he responded to the gospel good news and then he he left Christianity with this quote one of the quotes that C.S. Lewis has said is simply relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done you see there is a demand on the Christian that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus so there is a right now response that we all have to make and so a question I've got to ask you right now. You're looking at me? Yes. Right now, are you in Jesus Christ? Right now. Are you? Because all of those promises of Scripture, they're all yes and amen only in Jesus. You can't take a hold of any of those promises if you're not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, it's God's great mercy for you. If you're here today and you've not responded to it, God loves you and he's not holding a lightning bolt. He's throwing his son out as a lifesaver and he wants you to respond. And right now is your opportunity. So here's what I wanna ask. On 14 campuses and watching online, would you bow your head with me while we're all standing on our feet? And I want 100% participation right here. I want us all to pray out loud together, but some of us are gonna be praying for the very first time. And let's respond to the right now offer of the gospel. You ready? 100% response. Let's all pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for for my sins. Thank you for giving me your life. life. I I receive it in faith. Come now and fill me up, Holy Spirit. And help me to live for you for for the rest of my days. days. We love you. you. Amen. 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 Come on, church, would you put your hands together and let's thank God for folks that have responded. Now on the back of that card you're holding, this is 100% participation right here. Here's three great opportunities for you to do something right now. If you responded by faith today, you're going to be instructed in just a bit on how to get a Bible and how to, how to respond, and we want to walk with you. We'd be honored to be your church and want to help you journey so that you might be able to stand in the waters of baptism and tell other people that you're not perfect, but you know a perfect Savior, and that you're ready to live your life for Him. Others of you, maybe you've already become a Christian. You did that years ago, or you did that last week. Well, we want to give you a chance to go public, just like you saw Corey go public And over this next series called Marked by Victory, we're gonna be celebrating on all of our campuses people that formerly were marked by sin and death but have now been marked by the resurrection power of Jesus because the empty tomb is too good to not celebrate every single day, amen? We shouldn't relegate the empty tomb into celebrating it to one Sunday a year. God's given us that every single weekend. We ought to be able to celebrate it. For others of you, Maybe you've responded in salvation before. You've responded in going public. We'd be honored if you would call New Spring Church your home. And we want to help you do that and take your next step and get you connected, get you a part of a serving team, and help you to tell the good news message right there in your community. That's what being a part of the local church is all about. So church, let's pray together and thank God for what he's doing. We're going to worship a little bit more on our campuses, and I hope, I hope you walk around encouraged this week that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. We thank you for the resurrection power of the cross and the empty tomb. We thank you that it's not just history in the past or not just something we look forward to in the future, but it's a right now reality that we respond to. And so, God, be blessed in our worship now. Be blessed in the lives we live now. Be blessed in the stories we're going to tell now as we respond to the good news for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. In Christ's name we pray, and everybody said together, amen. 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 Come on, let's give the Lord a hand.